This is the We the People, Our American Story podcast. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans, combat survivors, first responders, and American patriots in their own words. If you are pro-freedom and pro-America, you are in the right place. We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. There is no better feeling than knowing your family always has access to clean, safe drinking water. The CyberTech Ring A10 Atmospheric Water Generator is the answer to your peace of mind. The A10 generates clean, fresh drinking water out of humidity, creating up to 10 liters of drinking water each day. The A10 is environmentally friendly with a small footprint, a solar option for remote location, and eliminates bottled water. 36-month financing is available around $70 a month. Visit mywatersource.net. Use code PATRIOT, which in turn will help the We the People, Our American Story podcast reach more patriots. Cheers to clean drinking water and the CyberTech Ring A10 Atmospheric Water Generator. 16-year-old Helmut Hübner couldn't believe his ears as he crouched in a closet in Hamburg, secretly listening to his brother's forbidden shortwave radio. The voice of the BBC announcer painted a picture of Nazi Germany that was dramatically different from the one he had been told to believe. When Hitler and Nazi officials went on the radio to talk to Germans like Hübner, they spoke of impending victory and praised the greatness of their country. But the Germany the BBC described and the progress of the war its reporters tracked sounded like it was on the brink of disaster. As he listened to that forbidden radio broadcast in 1941, Hubner decided to tell his fellow Germans the truth about Nazi Germany. Within months, he would be dead, the youngest ever victim of the Third Reich's infamous People's Court. Hubner's short life was shaped by the rise of fascism in Germany. The Nazis changed nearly every facet of everyday life for Germans, and the boy was no exception. A devoted Boy Scout, he was forced to become part of the Hitler Youth, the youth arm of the Nazi Party when the Nazis banned the organization in 1935. None of this sat well with Hubner, and in 1938, when he was 13 years old, he quit the Hitler Youth when they participated in Kristallnacht, a night of terror during which Nazi sympathizers destroyed synagogues, set fire to Jewish property, and attacked Jews. He was disturbed by other changes too. A member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he watched as the leader of his church, joined the Nazi party. It was a common move for Mormon churches in Germany and occupied countries, as many congregations worried they might be persecuted by the Nazis too. These events upset him, and the teenager began to question the Nazis' hatred of Jews and the Third Reich's growing control of German society. As he became older and started working as a trainee in social administration, Hubner realized that others had the same doubts. Then he began listening to forbidden radio broadcast and became convinced that the regime was not just racist and manipulative, but was losing the war. Hubner's actions were extremely risky. Radio had helped the Nazis rise to power by spreading their messages to a mass audience. Once the Third Reich took over Germany, they began to use the radio to control the population. They flooded the airwaves with propaganda broadcast, spreading false reports of glorious victories and bright prospects where there were none. It was forbidden to listen to any non-government radio transmissions like the BBC's multi-language broadcast. However, many Germans disobeyed. 
For people like Hubner, radio from other countries was the only way to learn the truth about the war. Hubner decided to spread these facts to people who didn't dare listen to the outlawed broadcast. With the help of three friends, he wrote, printed, and distributed up to 60 pamphlets that included information from the BBC and called on Germans to resist Hitler. They stuck the pamphlets in coat pockets, left them in phone booths, and pinned them to bulletin boards. According to German propaganda, the Pearl Harbor attack had destroyed the United States' ability to fight a war in Europe. Hubner provided details to to the contrary, assuring Germans that rumors of American military weakness were lies. He disputed official accounts of the war on the Eastern Front too, revealing that despite Germany's insistence that battles in Russia had been won, they were still raging weeks after propaganda reports that victory had already been achieved. Hubner's pamphlets countered the Nazi message of victory in battle. They also fought back against Nazi propaganda that encouraged all Germans to support a war effort that was not justified but sure to succeed. The fewer had promised you that 1942 will be decisive, and this time he will stop at nothing to keep his promise, he wrote in one pamphlet. He will send you by the thousands into the fires in order to finish the crime he started. By the thousands, your wives and children will become widows and orphans, and for nothing. Hubner and his friends were imprisoned in Berlin's Plotzny prison, along with other political prisoners. The prison was notorious for its harsh treatment of prisoners and as a site of countless summary executions. For 10 weeks, the boys were tortured and intimidated as they waited trial. When the Nazi head of Hubner's congregation found out about the rest, he excommunicated the boy from the Mormon church. And as a side note, this excommunication was later turned over by the Mormon church. The clergy at the time, the branch president, did not have the authority to excommunicate Hubner. Finally, the trial arrived. Hubner, who was just 17 years old, was tried as an adult. Rather than argue for his release, the boy instead confronted the judges about the Nazi regime and the war. When a judge asked him if he really thought Germany would lose the war, he asked, don't you? His friends later told family members that they thought Hubner was purposely baiting the judges so they'd give the other boys less severe sentences. That's exactly what happened. His friends were sentenced to imprisonment in labor camps, but Helmut Hubner was convicted of conspiracy to commit high treason and treasonous furthering of the enemy's causes and sentenced to death by beheading. Because his crime was considered so serious, Hubner's sentence gave the Nazis legal jurisdiction for both his execution as a minor and the torture he had already withstood. When asked if he had anything to say before his sentencing, Hubner confronted the judges again. I have to die now. For no crime at all, he said, your turn is next. On October 27, 1942, guards told Hubner that Adolf Hitler had personally refused to commute his death sentence. Hours later, he was beheaded, the youngest person ever executed by the Third Reich. Over the next two weeks, you will hear the story of Werner Sommerfeld. The Sommerfeld family were friends of Helmut. And in fact, on the day of Helmut's execution, one of his last requests that was granted was that he was able to write three letters to loved ones. Only one letter survived, and that was the letter to Werner Sommerfeld's mother. Werner has an incredible story that I am eager for you all to hear. This is Werner's American story. Imagine growing up in Germany under Hitler's regime. That was the life for my guest today, a very special guest that I'm really excited to welcome, and that is Werner Sommerfeld. Werner, welcome. Thank you. It's my privilege to meet you, Tina. You got my name from that Kim Olsen, a nice lady. I sure did. Kim was on an earlier podcast episode, and today we're here to listen to your story 
Can you maybe start us off with when you were born and yes. what life was like in Germany, maybe before Hitler really came? Okay. Well, I was born in Hamburg, Germany in 1929. That was the year of the... World War Depression. Looks like we're getting into something like that right now here. <laughs> and it, uh, well, I grew up, like I mentioned before, you know, my parents, they married in 1920 and born. Two sister missionaries came in 1925 and they felt of the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were baptized. And, of course, I was born in 1929, and I had... I'm the baby of the family. I had one sis, uh, one brother and three sisters, Arthur, Hedy, Laney, Mary, and myself, and I was a baby. And they're all gone, except I'm still alive. And I don't know what the reason is. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I, I'm very optimistic. I love life and love people. And I love this beautiful earth and the plan of salvation. What was life like for you as a small child in Germany during that time? Well, I can remember, you know, starting church, you know. That was very special. And we got a big bag of candy and stuff and starting out. It was quite nice. I enjoyed church, kindergarten and the things. And life was pretty much the same like anybody else as a child. But my parents were very... Good parents. I love both of them, especially my mother. She was a saint. She was kind. Uh, the way she taught me, she was a good example. She was honest and truthful, and she taught me good principles, and I tried to follow them, and I'm grateful for teaching her upbringing. To this point, I felt Heavenly Father's guidance presence to this day. It was a beautiful life. We went to school, and of course, uh, the Hitler regime, all the teachers were instructed uh, to find out about the, the parents of the children they taught, what they like or dislike about Hitler and stuff. The one boy, my friend, raised his hand. He said, my mother said, since Hitler is and charge here uh, the powder the, to clean the clothes was not good. It didn't clean the clothes. And uh, so she, uh, he complained about it. And a student of that boy, uh, boy after he complained to them, they, they went the next day to that parent, to the mother. They had a special car where they drove around, the Gestapo, and they went up to the door and they handcuffed that woman and put her in jail in the concentration camp. And that went over and over again. You had to be really tight-lipped. You, you, you couldn't express what you feel or what you like to do. Otherwise, they just lock you up. Where did you grow up in Germany? What town was this? Hamburg. Okay. Very nice. And the school I went to, it's still actually still there right now. And what did the people first think of Hitler when he started to rise through the ranks? We actually were happy because we lost World War I and there was unemployment, devastation, and we hoped that this will be uh, the end of it. And we, we kind of thought that it's going to be a good move. But as time goes on, it's 
more more or less we we didn't like him and uh, what's going on in the school and overall I had a I had a paper out wherever you go in the government places the school the church, I mean the doors and you always had to greet Heil Hitler and even when I uh, delivered paper I had to do the same and uh, I don't know it was just devastating uh, I left in the neighborhood where they knew I was a member of the American church and they did like it. But then the Saturday sky was black with airplanes. Was it uh, in the daytime? Was it the English? And the nighttime, the American? I don't know which way, but it was constant. Like I said, we could never undress. So we were already to run to the bunker to save ourselves. And it's a funny thing, those people, our neighbors who didn't like us because we belonged to the American church, but once the siren went off and we had the trouble and run to the bunker, they they ran with us. They wanted to be close to us. It's amazing. We still have the same today. They felt that we were religious and prayed and no Heavenly Father would bless us. So they want to be close to us. That was very special. And you know, many times we ran there to the bankers. We didn't have any food. We just had uh, coupons to go to get uh, a little bit to eat. We got cigarettes, everything a little bit. We we didn't smoke, so we, we traded the coupons with others for food. That was a blessing in our behalf. How old were you? What were your first memories of living under the Hitler regime? Well, like I said before, the, he wanted to control people. My mother took us to the doctors, and we couldn't figure out what's going on. We waited and waited, but then we found out some of the Jews, they were lucky to escape. They had some people to take him out. That's one experience. Another experience was, like I said, going to the bunker and then the final time when July 44, I guess, when the Hamburg was flattened out and we all lost our our home. There was nothing left. Many were killed. Even the streets, you know, with the asphalt, uh, people got stuck. Boys, we were happy when they said uh, we don't have schools till such a time because we could sleep because we didn't have any rest. We went outside as a boys to find how many different people we found there. You know, the guns, the bombs, all the kind of things. But but uh, during that time, you know, I guess we mentioned that before, there was no food and Hitler wanted us to raise, to be soldiers, to fight for him and, and win the whole world. That was his. How old were you when you joined Hitler's Youth? I was 14. You were 14, okay. And what year was this? Uh, I was born in 29, so that would be what? 43? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was this before you were forced to go to foster family or after? I went to the foster family before Hitler created this organization for us to have a place where we can have food and being growing up. But while we were in Hungary, Budapest, beautiful place, and I had very good people, and I had food to eat, so it was pretty nice. But we had all the Nazis, uh, 
There was many people sent to different foster parents. What were you doing there with your foster parents? Well, not too much with that. We were controlled by the Nazi. We had meetings every day and all came together. And one time I remember we they had us a school ground, gravel school ground, and they had us over that from one side to the other on our arms over gravel uh, school ground. And they had live shooting going over. Many of the boys cried for their mom. Many got hurt. Many got killed. It was devastating. And then they taught on 14 years old, we had the called Pounce of House, Pusuki, the gun you put under your arm and pull the trigger and the name card in the back. And that's how you shoot the tanks, you know. So at 14 years old, they yeah, gave you guns. Yes. Scary. Oh, very scary. Were you scared? Oh, yeah, we all were scared. And then they they wanted everything legal, uh, Hitler. We we had a big line with searchlights, and they had to go through all the Nazi and go to the ray front. They wanted us to sign up that we're going to uh, fight for Hitler and serve the army. Now, one blessing for me, it was my, my wife and family too, with 14, some of the boys are quite mature and strong and husky, but uh, my maturity came later, and that was a blessing. <laughs> so they weren't ready for you yet? No. And I think my passport, no use at this time. <laughs> no use. <laughs> but they, they wanted me legal time, and I, no, not now, not later, maybe not now, so I... I escaped that. And while I was in Hungary and when we lost our home, uh, my brother, when they went to the bunker to protect ourselves from our lives, my mother sent my brother back to get a little thing, whatever it was, with some of our documents, you know. And as he went back in our apartment there, they had the fire there. The planes and a fastball bomb came right through the ceiling, and he was in flame. He, 75%, pretty, pretty bad. He lived through it? He had that burn, and he, but he still came to this country here. Do you know, were they American bombers? Or you don't know? I don't know if the American or the... Maybe uh, British? The British. Wow. But they didn't know it. You know, they just... Bombed the apartments. We didn't have homes there, and the phosphor bomb came right down, and he was in flame. How old was he? He was uh, what, eight years older than me, <gasps> six years older than I. Yeah. So he would have been about twenty. Yeah. Oh wow. And he was so involved with that Helmut Helmut Hübner story too, but he was away when they actually when that Helmut Hübner listened to BBC London with the Rudy Wobb and Karlheinz Schnipper, you know. Could you tell us about that story about how your family met Helmut and what exactly your relationship was? Okay. Well, we had one well, there's many branches. We went to church. We were all as active. All these boys were members of the church. And every Sunday we got together and... Like we mentioned here before, uh, I had three sisters, and those boys, it's still nowadays, and I think it's forever, you know, the boys like the girls and vice versa. 
But they came to our home, that was choice. We sang together and oh, it was a special, special time and he loved it and we loved it. But when he was burned and stuff, you know, and I was not home at that time, I was in Hungary and then my mother petitioned to go back to where she was born, uh, Sudetenland, I don't know, uh, Riesengebär, oh, she loved it. And she had a sister living there, and they accepted them. They gave them a home, we bought furniture and food, and they had a good time, very, very special. And then the war came to an end, and we were sent back home from Hungary because our time was up and I guess so we joined them when my mother's family left there and we had a good time. I served as apprenticeship there, started as a plumbing apprentice there but then we had to leave within two days. The Russians were behind us and we had to get back to Germany where we lived. And that was very devastating. We just, there was no train, no, no vehicle to take us. So we had a two-wheeled car, just our belongings, and started our, what the, how many weeks was that? We had to walk and went through the beautiful farm places. All the people left farm homes and because the Russians were behind us. And you're probably a farmer, your husband. We were glad. I didn't know much about it. But the farmers had a, a big hills with sand over there where they kept their potatoes. So we were able to get the potatoes and cook them and ate them. And But all the way through there, we had checkpoint Charlie's, Charlie's like a checkpoint. We had to go through on vacation. Who are where you going? My sister, Haiti, she was quite a leader. She said, let's get going, let's move, don't worry about it. In the meantime, one of my sister, Lainey, she, we lost her. A Russian got hold of her. My mother was very sick. She had uh, something with her kidney, and she was deathly sick there. But we had to keep moving there. And there was some good Russian, I remember my sisters we didn't have food they went to one home and another woman said was it your daughters who went in that house said, yes you'll never see them again but they were very happy my my mother and we they were kind to them they gave them some food and they came out so we kept going and main and meantime you know my sister who was uh taken by a Russian, we, my mother especially, was very sick, and we all were. And he just uh, took her, but I don't know what happened, but according to my sister, when I talked to her, uh, and they stopped, and she ran away, and she found a group of immigrants. So she eventually came home. My mother, oh, she, that was a joy when she saw her coming back home, and she was not harmed. It was a great blessing. But then we arrived home in Hamburg, where I was born, and there was no homes to live in. There was one building under construction 
close where we were born and lived there, but no floors, no windows, no nothing. And we lived in that home for quite a while. And my brother, my one sister and her husband, they never could come over here. They came here to visit one time, but because of having two TB, now you just walk across the border and come in, and that's not a good thing either. No, it's not. Can you tell a story of Helmut for a lot of us who aren't as familiar with it? What is that story? Well, Helmut Hübner, he... He was a bright boy. He was above all of us. He was smart. So you knew him before you were sent away to Hungary? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. All the way through. And his pants and his... Uh, so was he closer than to your older brother because they were the same age, so they were friends? No, uh, we all knew him. Okay. They came our home. And what no. happened? What was his story? Well, all of us, and including Helmut and the two other boys. And, and who are the two other boys? Caroline uh, Schnipp and Rudy Wobbe. Okay. We kind of, I mean, the young boys, you know, we were first enthused, and, well, that's a good, with the under, like to play soldier and all that kind of stuff. But that soon died out there because we knew what he was doing was not what our desires and our parents. What did you think he was doing, or what was he doing that was upsetting that well, you could see? Well, he, he was even working for the government too, Brightford, and also for the church. He was a, a secretary for the church, and uh, his brother Gerhard, who was actually in the army, he brought one of those. Uh, typewriter bag, you know, and a computer, I guess, like a race mm-hmm. on that very old fashion. And all you were allowed to just listen radio we had in Germany, nobody else. But he listened to the BBC in London and listened to the news to the other side, and he said, That's something not right. That Hitler, he's a, a liar, he, he doesn't tell the truth. And he got more and more into it and listened more to it and typed about the thing he learned. And did he put those things out? Yeah. Is that what, like flyers or how? what flyers, would he do? Okay. Yes, Just yeah. like anonymous flyers he'd uh, leave all over? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, the flyers all over. His two friends were helping him? Yeah, the two friends. And my, my brother, he was listening to the BC, but he was somewhere. He was not even there, and it was a blessing we... Thank Heavenly Father because he never could have survived what they had gone through, you know. They've been tortured and all, man. And right now, again, when I give the presentations, I mean, and talking to, well, that Caroline Schnippe, he came to this house many really? times. Oh, yeah, we sang all the good old German hymns together with his wife there. And I went. When he was in the care center, his wife still appreciates me to come and visit him. But all three were tortured? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why was Helmut the only one to be executed? Uh, yeah, Why yeah. was he the only one? Do you know? Why didn't they kill the other two? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Did you ever see the Nuremberg trial? It's very well done. I'll have to see that. Very well But done. basically, he was executed just for passing out those flyers, that was his crime? Well, yeah, 
fought against Hitler regime. Karlheinz Schnipper actually was in the court when they uh, gave the verdict, and him to be executed in red, long gowns, had hammered on chains, you know, when he came in there. And everybody thought, and the parents always uh, all said, don't uh, let him die, give him a life. But Hitler himself said, no, get rid of him. It was his orders. We don't need people like here in this. He wanted to make a point with his execution. Exactly. This is what happens. Exactly. Were the other two in prison until the end of the war? Do you know? Well, one labor camp and what Ugh. else? There's one. Oh, I'll get this story here that uh, Karlheinz Schnipper, he was in prison on the other side. Oh, uh, many, many years after that they suffered. I don't know the story of his, you know, his mother asked him what happened because our branch prison, who was a Nazi, he announced that Helmut Hübner was arrested. I don't know why, but I, I'm sure it's political. And then his mother, Colin Schnipper, what, what was it? Oh, I don't know. And he said, I felt bad first time I lied to my mother, and I don't, I don't like it. Th- that time, you know, was very de- devastating. And you said his mother found out about it mm-hmm. from yeah. the, what was it that was put out? Like just a proclamation yes. of some sort that yes. said that he had been killed. Yeah. Yes. So basically it was their way of saying, you do this and this is what's going to happen yeah. to you. And that's how she found yes. out. Yes. Awful. It was awful. When did your family and most of the German people find out what was going on with the camps? And what kind of a shock was that? That's another thing. Still right now, I don't know, when I came, still some people uh, think, why, why didn't they protest against it? They didn't believe. We did know nothing what was going on with the Jews, with the concept. We didn't know. If you knew, you wouldn't be alive, you know. Was Hamburg, or where you were, your family, was that anywhere near any of the concentration camps? So could they really, they couldn't really see the trains coming no, in and all of that. Okay. No. Yeah. So was it not until after the war that they really found out? Yeah. And what is that like to find out that such atrocities are, were happening? That was, that was awful. Did you see the video? I mean, it shows all the Jews, you know. I mean, Hitler, I don't know why he hated the Jews. We got to get rid of the Jews. Because they've been... Uh, persecuted from the ever, you know, Jesus Christ was a mm-hmm. Jew himself, yep. you know. But I don't know why he and how many millions of thousands did they kill, and they just put a dug a ditch, a masquerade, and just covered them up. That was horrible. And though the German people did not know about it, a lot of them, was there shame in being a German at that time? Yes. Yes. When I came over here, in fact, I gave a presentation. There was another member over there when I talked this story. They said, that's all a lie. never happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I tell you. And the same thing happened right now over in Russia, Ukrainian. I, I feel I'm in touch with the people there. 
and you know my wife and I served on a mission, three missions over there at Russia, Ukraine, and we spent four and a half years over there. I was in the mission presidency. First, we went to Armenia, very special. Armenia, nice place too. We love the people there, and you know Armenia is probably one of the oldest. Uh, religious country. I mean, the, their religion is come way back when. When we get, when we go to, they invited us to go to the other churches when they have bapti- baptism and other things. It's similar to ours. It's more original than it was over there, and they're very faithful to accept the gospel, and that's where the. Where the Ark Noah, Ark Noah up there? That's it, oh yeah 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 up there. Yeah, the Arafat is yes. that what it is? Mount yes. Arafat. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. And we had one uh, hurricane there one time. It was pretty scary. The cats uh, lifted up. <laughs> uh, and we were going to, and the car took up to higher ground. To that was very scary, but we were safe. What did your dad do for the Nazis? What was he supposed to do? What was his role? Well, he actually gave out the, uh, the uni- uniforms, clothing. Mm. He never had. He did to not fight. have to go fight. And, uh, that was a blessing. But and then he was in the prison camp too. I can look it up. Oh, your yeah. dad was. Yeah, yeah. And I told you about our brands. That I, I tell you. Oh. The other thing, as of Taft Benson and Kimball, did we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He works for the government, you know. He had. He was I, the Secretary of Agriculture, wasn't he? Yes, and I guess. Yeah. Who was it? Who was the president there? He was was a, it Roosevelt? He was a golfer, professional golfer. What was he saying to me? Anyhow, they petitioned him. He petitioned, we got to send some food to the people over there. Well, we can do that. When can you have it done? You know, the welfare program, they're just like that. And they accepted it. They sent a lot of food and clothing. And we had to agree. Only one third go to the Catholic, one to the Mormon, and the third for the rest of the said. And I remember when it came, I was only four, I don't know. And we didn't have regular buildings. We had a place we rented, and we stored the food, and they had us rotate as young boys to protect it, you know. And it was scary. When people are hungry, they're doing anything, and they tried to break in and hurt us. And But we were safe. But I remember they still got the seagull milk nowadays here, and we drank it. Uh, we were deathly sick. We were not used to it. <laughs> and I tell you, those times, we had a big increase of membership and... And you can't blame people either. Yeah, it was food, and, and we treated them equally, I guess. But after the food was gone, they were gone too again, you know. What was it like to see your beautiful Germany destroyed? Awful. Yeah, after we served three missions with my wife over Rossi Rikane, that was in 2002. That was the last time I'd been there. Because I've been there before, I went to the funeral of my brother-in-law. But I guess my traveling days are over. I can't. I gave my car to my one, my granddaughter, and 
It's a pit. We raised our children, our seven children, I guess. I told you one was taken with cancer, one ah. was drowned. And we raised them, we raised them and loved them and told them what they should do and can do. Now they tell me what I can do. <laughs> the tables have turned, haven't they? Oh, yeah. Right. So did yeah. your family then, your parents, did they lose everything in the war? Oh, yeah. How did that impact your parents? Awful. Like I said, we went to her hometown, Sudetenland. Is that why you went there? Because there was nothing left for you in Germany? And when when we left there, the Russian, I had a nice little 12 bass accordion I liked. They took it away from me. Oh, it was, was awful. So was this all on foot? Were you in a car or what? No, by foot. You were going by foot. How far away was that? I don't know how many miles, how many days. Wow. And you would just camp out by the side That's of the a, road or what? Yeah. Wow. You would not check heavy on people they do over here when they go. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's a good experience, but I don't, I don't want the experience over again. What I had, it was devastating. But like I said, it's. I think Heavenly Father blesses us if we... We're going to have our up and downs. What lessons do you think you learned from Germany, from Hitler? What Uh, did you learn during that time? I think what I learned from that time and also in life itself, from the gospel, we've been giving those challenges to make us better, become more like Jesus Christ, accepting me like my my mother. I learned a lot from her, and Heavenly Father wanted to have us learn to be more kind, submissive, and to compassionate. And I think this is what we learn on this earth. We make choices, and we have people, some like us, some don't like us, some have hard times. But when you go through like things like that, I feel like I myself can feel with them and Love them and help them. You're more sympathetic and compassionate. That's a good quality to learn on this earth because the good and evil been on this earth from day one. When you fight between good and evil, right and wrong, and yet all the people on this earth, they have the spirit of Christ. We all know good and right, but the temptation over here now Every day, especially nowadays with the computer. I, I, I've been working when I was 14 years old to earn some money to give to my mother to feed us. You know, she had such great faith. She asked Heavenly Father, I, you know, I got five children. I don't know what to feed them anymore, anymore tomorrow. What? And she prayed faithful, meek. And next day there was some wheat on milk at the, at the floor at the outer door and other times no Heavenly Father watches over and guide us I know that and I'm grateful for the lesson to come here to learn become like Jesus Christ and you know he has gone through oh man what he uh, more trials and he knew everything like you and I experienced while he was here and like Joseph Smith just a boy and he he felt 
He should pray because in his family there was many different churches. That can be all right. So, and he prayed Heavenly Father, and I don't know. After eighteen hundred years, we have a living prophet through Joseph Smith, and he had trials. It was not easy what he had gone through, and he was just a kid, but he gave his life. Because the testimony and through him, the heavens are open. We got a living prophet, and that President Nelson, he's quite the man. He's what, 97, 98? He's a little older than you. Oh, yeah, way older. <laughs> and David O'Markey, I served a mission over in Germany before I came to the States, 1951, 53, and I loved it. And, uh, David O'Markey, I met him when I was a young missionary over there. Good man. They were all sent to represent Heavenly Father and give inspiration for us to get, guide his kingdom here on this earth. Were you ever angry or feel cheated out of a childhood because of everything that you went through with just the Hitler regime and, like you said, working at 14 to provide... Food? Did you ever feel cheated? I don't know. I don't know. It was tough. I don't know if I ever was angry. It, it was awful. Of course, us being over there and being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, we have a different outlook than the others over there. We always thought, man, we always want to come to Zion. And, and I was privileged to come here, my my sister came first, Haiti, who her husband had relatives over here and came over here. I, I had to have a sponsor, you know, who's mm-hmm. responsible. Mm-hmm. If they kept things like that going, we wouldn't have the trouble. But the sponsor was uh, one of the, where we bury the dead, what's, the, what's that called again? Where they bury the dead? Cemetery? Yeah, the companies who represent them. The mortuaries? Mortuary. Yes. Yeah. And he was the owner of the desert mortuary. They have to give all the assets, how much they make, and the income tax. I don't know this man, and he sponsored others, but he's a member of our church, and I trust him, and I will sponsor him. Did you ever wonder... When you see all that destruction in Germany and all those innocent people murdered, did you ever wonder why would a loving God let this happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how did you come to terms with that? I, I don't know. And it's tough. I still wonder today, you know, why are two of my children gone? Why are little babies die? Why are some of the babies uh, disformed, they're not normal when they come. It's, uh, it brings out in the scripture, it's nothing the parents did, no? it's just it's part of life, I guess, and that there's again uh, the good and the evil, you know, we now, kids like now they don't want to work anymore the kids why work? <laughs> Biden pays, pays us. We got enough money. We don't need any work ourselves. But work is the best therapy. It's, 
I loved work and I wish I still could go out and do the things I used to don't like to do very much. So you try just to understand that sometimes God just allows things to happen mm-hmm. because it's free agency. Yeah, that's it. But it's, I don't think it's God who does it. Right, we he do doesn't allow ourselves. that, but yes, exactly. God, he's a jealous God too, did you hear that? I don't say mean, he can be angry, I guess. I don't know, look like the time was Noah, you know? Mm-hmm. How many were saved there? I mean, he he was fed up, I'm fed up, you're not listening. I just uh, let the flood come and uh, you all be gone. And How many were saved uh, in the boat? Not too many. No, huh? not too many. What do you miss about Germany? Well, America's my home. I love it. It was nice, but I don't know. Some of them who emigrated coming here, they didn't like the new world here. They want to go back. I never have the desire. Even so, America's not what they used to be when I came. No, no. And it's devastating, and I know why. Like right now with the government, I mean... I mean, it's not our principle, what we desire, you know, with abortion and all that kind of garbage there. It's not Heavenly Father's plan, it's not our plan, you know. I mean, we are here, and I love it. Heavenly Father created man and women in their own likeness and image. And what a beautiful thing to come here to this earth. My wife, she'd been here before, two years, she came from... Island to meet her, and we are love and respect. Oh man, by the way, maybe the story I should say when I met her, I was only 14 days in this country, and it was the Edgehill Hill Ward. Did you speak any English? A little bit, not too much. But my wife, she had German in school. She was a all the women there are much brighter than the men. <laughs> But I took her to dance, and oh, she was a beauty queen. It was all chairs with the beautiful girls, and I, I looked them over, and oh, she was striding. She was a knockout. So I went over her, and I said, may I have the dance? Yeah. And we were pretty much danced all night. Oh, she was like a feather. Oh. And then I said, I'd like to take you home, and... Never mind, I came with a girlfriend. Who's your girlfriend? Another instant. I think it's Heavenly Father's in our lives. Was it, oh, I know her. So I went over to her. I said, you brought uh, my, the girl I danced with to the dance, and she wants to go back home with you, but I like to take her home. Never mind, you can take her home. So this family and naughty. We knew the family in Germany, but the family went to England and uh, they met, that's where she met her. So that's where we came together. Then I took her home in the taxi and I still have a hard time, east and west and north and south. And I took her up the steps and uh, wanted to kiss her goodbye, good night. And that stupid roommate turned on the porch light. 
<laughs> she ruined your plan. Yeah. <laughs> so I paid the money and wished her goodbye and we said we want to meet again. Yeah. But you know, I don't kiss the first night when I go out. And I liked it. I mean I liked it the woman. There's still some women around, but some of them are not that way. Yeah. <laughs> How about we do this, Werner? We'll stop here for part one. And then I'll come back for part two and we'll talk about America. Thank you for listening to this episode of Another Fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country. 